Taranaki leaders, Te Whitsi Orongomai and Tohu Kākahi, encouraged their people to practice passive resistance, taking a non-violent approach to the conflicts of land loss against them in the mid-1800s. The anniversary of the attack on Parihakapa, which took place on the 5th of November 1881, resulted in the rape and pillage of the peaceful community. Many of the uri, or descendants, were sent to jail without trial, including its two leaders. Ask That Mountain by Dick Scott tells the story of Parihaka, which brings us to this week's segment of Ngā Taonga Kōrero, recorded in 1975 with host Here the name Te Fiti Orongomai, the great Māori leader and prophet, would not have become well known outside the Taranaki province if it wasn't for the publication of Parihaka Story over 20 years ago by author Dick Scott. In his new book entitled Ask That Mountain, Dick Scott gives additional information, much of it from oral sources, and fills out the story from the victim's point of view, the rape and persecution of Parihakapa, resulting in the confiscation of three million acres, which included the coveted Waimate Plains. During the launching of Ask That Mountain in Auckland last weekend, some of Tefiti's followers were present, proudly wearing the three white feathers, traditional emblem of Parihaka. They were special guests of author Dick Scott and Heinemann Southern Cross, the publishers. Even in the plush contemporary setting where the launching took place, the incantations of Te Fiti assumed its rightful place, reflecting the tranquil dignity of the prophet. Three times war had flared in Taranaki, first in 1860 after the illegal Waitara purchase, again a few years later when Shute marched inexorably up the coast from Whanganui to Taranaki, and a third time towards the close of the decade when the great rebel leader Titokowaru, after two victories, was harried into the bush with a price on his head. Nearly three million acres of land were confiscated with certain provisions. Native reserves will be set aside. No land of any loyal Maori will be taken, and rebel Maoris will be allotted a sufficient area of land on application. In practice, these undertakings were honoured in the breach. Reserves were conveniently forgotten, and loyal Maoris were likely to find, as one did, that his allotment was 16 acres in extent, five acres of open country, and... 11 of dense bush. It's hard for a European to realise the intensity of the Māori's feeling for his land. It is part of him. It is his ukaipo, papatuanuku, the mother of man. For the Taranaki people, this was a time of crisis. Time and again, when threatened by outside pressures, the Māori has responded by producing a religious leader, and so it was in the person of Te Fiti Orongomai. He combined the old Māori traditional oratory with the magnificent language of the Bible. Author Dick Scott. His tactics 
had style and wit, and over all was, a, was the magic of a Messiah's message of a day of deliverance. They came from the far north, the Chatham Islands, Waikato's, Wanganui's, Manipoto people, all converged to hear his message. What motivated you in the first place into writing about that aspect of our history? It happened by accident in a way, so on the uh, basis of it was that I was in bed. Uh, I had chickenpox or measles or something in my late twenties and uh, I was convalescing and a friend lent me the transcript of the Bryce Rusden libel case, the big case heard in, in London High Court in the 80s. And uh, there were hundreds of pages of evidence and in the middle of it was a whole lot on Parihaka. And it was the first time I'd ever known that this, these things had happened. As soon as I got well, I got straight down to Taranaki to see what I could see. It's been said that the Parihaka Māoris have always been suspicious of, of the Pākehā. How were you able to, to gain their confidence? When I arrived, uh, no one knew me. I arrived unannounced, walked into the village at dusk. I remember getting off a bus late in the day. I was given a, a welcome as a stranger, but when I started to talk and say what I was there for, the people had no reason to trust me and they didn't give me very much information at that stage. Um, the next day I was taken through the Rakura, which has now unfortunately been burnt all those years ago. Uh, I was shown the hill where the cannon was, I was shown a lot of things, but the older people weren't ready to get down to any details. They had no reason, why should they trust me? They had no reason to trust me. And I wrote that book with help from one or two people, but not a great deal of help. And that's why the new book is much bigger, because since the first book came out, there's been a, an attitude that I apparently have approved that I have the right sympathy, and people wanted to talk, and were, wanted a second book, and asked me to put out a second book. So that I had to make my way like that. In a way, you, you, you were quite prophetic in, well, it's become the respectable thing now. Painters, uh, uh, writers, poets are bringing out the, the kinds of things that Tefiti believed in, the humanity and what have you. It's true. It wasn't fashionable 20 years ago. It was against the current, against the stream. And uh, I don't know whether uh, I should say this, but the Minister of Maori Affairs at that time had his office staff put to work to show that the book was wrong. Uh, I gather that uh, several of these people spent a lot of time and checked my references, checked my reports, and uh, nothing could be made of it. it was a, uh, but this was the attitude, that, that this couldn't be true, this is a nasty bit of work, let's try and kill it. Well, today, a different attitude, uh, instead of obstruction, I'm getting a great deal of help from all, all sorts of places. Dick, you've made such a deep study of Te Whiti the main hero of your book. Would you like to give us a word picture of him? Well, he's such a complex person, such an exceptional person, that I don't know that I'd be capable of giving a sort of nutshell portrait. This man was had depths that uh, I've only scratched. Uh, 
I think it would need a Maori scholar to uh, bring out the metaphysical side of his beliefs, the, uh, the Maori law that he knew. He was steeped in Maori tradition. He was, he was such a tremendous personality that his whole manner, his uh, humility, uh, his, his quickness, his, even his sarcasm, everything that he had. He was ahead of his time in respect to, well, uh, take the women's lib thing. A woman uh, had a special role in Indefiti's uh, society. Take uh, in the 19th century, the Pākehā uh, norm was to be cruel to people with uh, deformities. It was fashion to laugh at them, and if a lame person or whatever, or a blind person was the butt, it wasn't permitted at Pārehāka. The sick or the, the half-wits or whatever had to be respected. Almost anything you like to think of, this man was so far ahead of his time that it, it, it's a huge subject to speak about him. He was, in fact, a saint. Matarena Raumatirau, a follower of Tefiti from Parihaka, describes now how the teachings of the prophet were embodied in the songs and chants. The first verse refers to or asking a question, uh, who are the Poi people outside Teniho? And the reply is the Atiawas. And so wear your feathers. It is very good. The second verse uh, uh, says that that Tefiti instructed the people to um, wear flax and uh, your rapaki is very good, so wear your fe feathers, which is very good. The third verse refers to the, to the Europeans who visited Tefiti Orangamais Marae. I don't know about Tohukakahis, but they did visit uh, Parihaka and, uh, and followed Tefiti's teachings as well. And the third verse refers to the Tawiwi coming, or the Pākehās coming to Parihaka, and who had leanings toward the feathers and the teachings of the feathers. So we your feathers, it's very good. Um, the fourth verse refers to the troubles of the world, and uh, which will be overcome by the teachings of Tefiti Orangamai. Uh, which Tefiti um, um, took as his principal teaching, the birth of Christ, um, the star of Bethlehem, and that wonderful saying, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace and goodwill to all mankind. And uh, that, um, that would uh, uh, overcome the troubles of the world. Matarena, as a follower of, of Tefiti, uh, what's Tefiti standing today in terms of, of yourself and your people? Uh, still very high. We still regard the uh, feathers, his emblem of peace, as um, something that's important in our lives. Also, his teachings, his proverbs, his prophecies still live today. And in most of the chants, they are chanted. Your people have lost so much in terms of land and manna. Are they embittered by it? 
I think embittered is, is uh, the wrong word for today's, for, for today. Um, the people have overcome the bitterness, but I think they still wish that they had all their lands, particularly North Taranaki. The South Taranaki people seem to be quite well off as land still, but um, Maori, Pōmara and Tarangihiro's people were deprived of quite a, a lot of acres. But I think the bitterness is wearing off. I know what Parihaka stands for, I know the principles, the philosophy of Parihaka, and um, as far as I'm concerned, it's the reason why I'm there when I have to be. Um, I've done a lot of work on, on uh, Parihaka Marae, and my Rorotongan husband has also, because he believes in the philosophy of Parihaka. But um, there are hundreds or thousands of people all around the country who know something about Parihaka, but have never had the opportunity to learn more about it. And I feel that Dick Scott's book is, is, uh, has, in the past, his first publications have done something for Parihaka and the people of Taranaki. And, um, and this new book uh, of um, Dick Scott's is going to enlarge and enhance their knowledge about Parihaka and uh, the philosophy of both, of both leaders, Tafitiorongomai and Tohukakahi. I suppose the Māori Artists and Writers Conference, uh, it's being held at Parihaka this year. This would probably give more focal point to the teachings of Tefiti. I, I do hope so, and we are looking forward um, to entertaining you and, and being your host uh, for the conference. Uh, which will be in one of the houses uh, on the Parihaka Marae. And it was, it was originally, it was a dining room which has been renovated into, uh, into a meeting house and that's where you'll be staying. And uh, the dining room was a dining room built to support Tarokura Meeting House dining room for VIP people. I believe the Marae is being rebuilt again. It is um, I don't know about being rebuilt, although uh, a new house is being built for the uh, uh, the um, Tohukakahi followers, and it's in the throes of being built now. Uh, we're doing renovations. We're trying to clean the marae and um, of all the old buildings. Unfortunately, uh, they were they weren't the old thatched ones. They were very modern for their time. Um, We've cleaned the marae and uh, we want to uh, fence some of the old urupas, the old cemeteries, and uh, generally clean the place up. And I think we've made, so far, uh, a great success of our endeavours. I believe there, there has always been a division between the Tohukakahi faction and the Tefiti. Does that still exist? Yes, in a way. I think, I think today it's personalities. I'm, I'm sorry, but, uh, but I do think it's personalities. Um, uh, the co-martyrs of both marais have taken part in each other's uh, celebrations. Uh, for instance, Te Whiti uh, celebrations on the 18th day of the month, every month. And the following day is the 19th, and that's Tohukakahis. And we, we communicate and we, we um, uh, take part in both celebrations on both days. And I think the, the division today are personalities. It seems that uh, all the great prophets of Maridom 
have come from the Aotea Taranaki area. Uh, it's been said that Mount Egmont is an inspiration to the prophets of the past, William Muratana included. Well, what's your attitude towards this? Well, my attitude is one of non-conceit. But um, Ratana, Guido uh, Murata, was a wonderful man. Uh, yes, he did uh, associate himself and link himself with, with uh, Mount Taranaki and with Te Whiti and, and Tohukakahi. Um, but with all the prophets and all the... Um, yes, all the prophets came from Taranaki, uh, I wouldn't like to say. I wouldn't know. Matarena Raumatirao a follower of Tefiti Oromumbai. Dick Scott describes now how Tefiti pioneered passive resistance over half a century before Mahatma Gandhi. He fashioned the tactics of Gandhi, whatever it was, half a century before Gandhi was born or thought of. He, out of his own determination to save his land, had to work on what resources he had and out of that, he hammered the non-violent resistance theories of Gandhi or Martin Luther King in New Zealand on his own. How was Defiti able to turn bloodthirsty warriors into pacifists? He fired them with the visions of what could happen. It wasn't always easy. Um, I've told of one particular warrior who, in fact, I think may have been the man who killed Von Temsky, Tefitu, the star, who heard Tefiti's teachings and couldn't accept them. He wanted to, but in his heart he thought, this is surrender, I'm a warrior. And only after he'd gone out and killed a military settler, went back to Tefiti, told him what he'd done, and then gone out into the wilderness again and had a vision that he was able to come to terms with the idea of this new way of fighting. And Tefiti was able to persuade and teach his people that they weren't surrendering, they were still fighting, but just a different way of fighting. If Tefiti did succeed in retaining his land and Parihaka as the focal point for his Taranaki people, do you think it would have kept pace with other towns? I believe that that was proven in the last part of the 19th century when Parihaka itself was one of the most advanced municipalities in the country. It had running water, it had electricity, it had street lights, it had every convenience way ahead of most Pākehā places. They were even at one stage thinking of running water in the gutters of the streets to keep the streets permanently clean, something that we haven't got yet. Defiti was the pacifist and, and the peacemaker. On the other extreme was Titokowaru, the warlord. What are your impressions of him? Tito Kuoro was a great guerrilla leader. He f fought the last desperate campaign in Taranaki, and only when his people were shot down, outgunned and outnumbered, he came to terms with Tefiti, decided that perhaps he should listen, and he became one of the strongest supporters of Parihaka. Tito Kuoro was arrested at the invasion of Parihaka. He went on hunger strike, refused food. At the last, one of the last jailings of Tefiti at the time of the Hasties Farm episode, it was Tito Kawaro who went to jail with Tefiti. And 
he was a sick man, a very sick man, and he died not long after he came out of that jail in Wellington, and thousands of pounds had been paid to him, or an attempt by the government had been made to pay them to him for land to win his support. Not one penny of that, land had been, uh, that money had been taken by him. He remained a follower of Tafiti till he died. Even today, Dick, the Maori is still fighting for the retention of what little land there is left to him. Do you see the message of Tafiti still valid in today's terms? It's completely valid. That he, his teachings show that those who are fighting to retain their land have the whole tradition of the people behind them. They have the whole justice of of all people behind them. His story is, is the valid backing for what is happening, something that no one could take away from the modern-day Māori. It's his right and his justification. And that was recorded in 1975. Hedawini Murupainga with author of the book Ask That Mountain by Dick Scott. In Matarina Romatiro, who explained a few of the waiata pertinent to Barihaka. I'm Rosemary Rangitawira, and this is Te Ahikaa.